It feels to me like we could talk for a couple of hours. Easily. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. What's new? We always have a lot to talk about at this dinner table. That is true, but we just got back from our to and from Louisiana road trip. Annual winter road trip. You're getting back into the swing of things here on the farm. I hit the ground. Of course, the weather was kind of challenging the first couple of days, but today Tommy was coming out again. So we got some more potato beds built, some Mm -hmm. more garden beds built. I planted some potatoes and then went out and started doing some of my spring planting, starting to move that direction. And then tomorrow I'm going to be harvesting heads of lettuce. Nice. Cabbages. Hold on. You brought a head of lettuce in last night. Yes. It was an Instagram head of lettuce. I mean, this lettuce was ripe for taking a photo of. Yeah, I'm getting really happy about how things are evolving out here at the farm now that my gardens are really starting to get developed well. Um, takes a few years to get things really developed. There's a lot of moisture in the ground this year compared to last year. So yeah. spring's going to be really good. I have lots of little baby tomatoes that I'm about to get ready to start putting in the ground. Wonderful. I'm going to need your help with some of the trellising yeah. so that I can get my tomatoes, you know, in the right places. I got another client the other day. And after I got done with that conversation, I thought to myself, and, and this is going to be a pat on the back, but I think that there's a phase of my life that I'm in right now where I'm really trying to give myself some more pats on the back for well, turn, turn the around. expertise I, that I have, the, the expertise that I've developed over the years that I like, I know a lot about what I'm talking about as it relates to animal, <laughs> uh, as it relates to plants, well, uh, specifically at, gardening. Our, our and, friends at the dinner table are going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> you know what you're talking about. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I spent a lot of time in the last few months, you know, really questioning a lot of my value and really looking deeply into that and really understanding a lot more about it. And people that listen to the podcast might not know that I question what I know. Oh no, I think it comes up. Yeah, I hope so. Because I'm spending a lot of time understanding what is it that God gave me as my special talents Mm. and what are the senses that I have that are special for my purpose in this life. And Getting off that phone call and just thinking, you know, man, I can really help people with their homesteads and their land management. People forget their own gifts. Yep. They do. Mm -hmm. Uh, This might be a case where you've just do it and do it and do it. It just becomes second nature. Yeah. But every single time we talk to anybody about what you do on our Mm -hmm. trip, Mm -hmm. it is fun to sit back and watch the conversations kind of explode. Yeah. Because everyone wants to hear more about what you're up to or put their two cents in about their own garden at home from all over the country this weekend. Right. Well, it's really fun to get in the conversations with people that are serious about the homesteading aspect. A Mm. lot of the stuff we talk about here on the podcast. And when I discovered my new client is serious about permaculture and regenerative agriculture and sustainable homesteading, like in a worst case scenario... Do we have the capabilities to have a sustainable garden that will do well if we don't have a lot of water, if we have drought, if we have freezes, we still have food to feed our families. And there was a lot of information that I was able to give and it helps me to know what people's seriousness is and where they are. And not to say that I'm not willing to work with anybody because I am and and I can speak at any level all the way from, you know, children up to um, people that are pretty significantly successful in gardening, but are really interested in growing their landscape, growing their homestead, growing into even bigger operations. I'm excited about that. And so I, I want to say that if there's people out there that are looking for some more support, some consultations, some uh, hands-on coaching, please reach out to me. In it's person or in Zoom. part of what I do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So reach I'm, out. I missed the farm. I missed the chickens. Yeah, yeah. You called me today. Yeah, 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 yeah. And your first words were, I've got a problem. What's going on? This new rooster is attacking the dog. Yeah, my little dog wouldn't stay in the yard and he never, he's not the kind of dog that goes out. He knows where his holes are. He knows how to get out. He doesn't go out because he knows he belongs in the yard and that's where mom wants him to be. Well, he kept running out today. What is going on? Well, I knew that that rooster Elvis had been getting out of the run. I had seen that yesterday. The new chickens, the ones we got back in September that are now coming into their own, have begun laying eggs, Mm -hmm. which is great. Our egg count is up. 
Yep. But they're the tiny first rounds of eggs, yeah, which yeah. is kind of cute. They're very pretty colors, though. They sure are. And they're really establishing their place in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are flying over the fence because they just don't know not to do that. Yeah. And because your garden across the fence looks so delicious. They're not eating it, though, but we're going to have to keep them in. <laughs> so I said, well, here's what we can do. We can clip their wings. Now, we've had chickens now for, what, six years? Yeah. And we have never had to clip a chicken's wings. Yeah. The chickens that fly over the six-foot-tall fence that we've got around the run don't cause problems enough. enough. And there's only one or two of them that yeah. do it. Yeah. But if the rooster is going to make the dog not be able to hang out in his and own backyard. And we're talking about like a five-pound tiny poodle, yeah, you guys. right. I He's... can carry him in a purse. Sure. So I YouTubed it. How do you clip chicken wings? Mm-hmm. A little nervous. Mm-hmm. Cutting on the thing. Turns out it's no big deal. Yeah. According to the YouTuber I heard, it's like giving a chicken a haircut. Yeah. And all it's doing, you got their primary wings. That, like if imagine the wingspan of a bird, those longest feathers that are the farthest away, mm-hmm. like the fingertips, if you will. Mm-hmm. Those are the wings required to give a chicken lift. And chickens don't fly very well, but they can get over that six foot fence if they really want to. You just cut those up to the secondary wings. It's not painful. It's not near any kind of circulatory system. So you're not worried about that. So I just went out there right after work, watched my YouTube video one more time, clip, clip, done. This just made me think, I saw a post in the Backyard Chicken Group, which is a group that we started and you now run because I bailed out on you and left you to handle it by yourself. Oh my God, that's (laughs) an hour-long conversation right there, adminning a chicken group. Yeah, but the question that was asked was the simple questions that we've answered 8 billion times that Grow Local led the Boktoberfest Backyard Chicken Coop tour around Mm -hmm. Corpus Christi to give the ordinances. I was blown away. We have lost so much control of that group that the conversation and the comments on that were so ignorant that I just, I was like, oh, I just have to walk away. I just have to walk away. There's people on there that are like, oh, you can't have that. Or, oh, you're, I, I was told you weren't allowed to. And then someone else, yeah, you can have roosters. No, I was told you couldn't have her. I mean, like you can have 12 chickens. No, you can only have six. Seriously? Is this really a, a hey, so serious conversation a that's happening where a group that we're still in charge of, where we actually taught people how to raise chickens in Corpus Christi and what the rules are for Corpus Christi is still Are that you ignorant? trying to tell me that on social media, people are posting opinions as fact and they don't know what they're talking about? <laughs> God. We have got so much to talk about this trip. Let's get started. Okay. Ooh. Unanswered questions. We've been talking about your AIP diet and the things you can and can't eat. And one of them was black pepper. And I said, pulling this right out of my butt, well, black pepper and salt are the two most used spices in the world. Mm. I gonged it. Okay. So we're going to play a game. What's the most popular 10 spices in the world? Okay. Paprika is one of them. Well, you're not letting me play the game. (laughs) You're right. Paprika is the fifth most popular spice in the world. Now, you're trying to get to number one. That's uh-huh. a freebie. Uh-huh. Okay. Within three guesses. Uh-huh. It might be pepper. It might not be. Uh-huh. It is not paprika. Okay. Go ahead. I think pepper is one of the top. Number two. It's like family feud. Uh-huh. Show me pepper. Let's see. Salt has got to be up there also. Salt is not a spice or an herb. Salt is a mineral. Spice or herb? Mm-hmm. Fuck. Think of the spice cabinet. So not a plant. So not garlic, right? Garlic is number six. That's a, not an herb or a spice. Okay, so I've named paprika. I've named black pepper. I've named garlic. garlic. Would you like a hint? Sure. Prior to the AIP diet, we used it all the time. Cilantro? Coriander is number eight. Coriander. Okay. Cumin? Camino? Number one. Yeah, okay. So starting at 10, nutmeg, mint, coriander, garlic, chili. Chili, okay. Paprika. Uh-huh. Cardamom. Okay. Cinnamon number three. Huh. Pepper number two, cumin number one. Interesting. Now you got to think worldwide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worldwide, of course. Because cinnamon... Mint, yeah. They're all used in all kinds of foreign countries as primary spices. Hmm. Fascinating. You mentioned last week that there are some seeds that have to pass through the digestive tract of an animal to propagate. Yes. 
I had never heard of that before. Really? I gonged it. Okay. These flowers we adore in spring often become fruits and berries we associate with summer and fall. When the seed or seeds inside are mature, the fruit becomes ripe. Often, the fruit takes on a distinctive color and odor to encourage animals to eat it. Mm -hmm. These seeds are either discarded when the fruit surrounding it is consumed, Uh or they pass through the animal's digestive tract. When an animal poops, it passes the seeds away from the parent plant in new areas, which allows the plant to colonize new territory. Oh my God, this gets me thinking about the book that I was reading, My Wild Garden. Yeah. And I was reading you a whole chapter while we were on our vacation, because, you know, we did a lot of reading we on did a lot our of reading. trip this time. It was talking about this concept about how some plants actually plant their seeds really close where they like, like some trees will drop their limbs right directly down into the ground and put their seeds right underneath them. Yeah. And then some things like dandelions have these really soft seeds. Carried by the wind. They're carried by the wind. Some of them get pooped out by animals and so it gets walked like a buffalo walks it across the american plains to poop out somewhere else and the seed also gets an added boost of fertilizer and moisture in the animal waste now Mm -hmm. i am a novice scat investigator yes your dad and i will see like for example raccoon Raccoon. poop yeah and inside the poop of course are a bunch of seeds Uh i just hadn't put two and two together yeah but this is different than fermenting did you look up why seeds have to pass through animals in order to ferment some plants have evolved so that they can only propagate Uh by passing through an animal's digestive tract one example is the cassowary plum Okay. The fruit of this plant is poisonous to most animals and humans, but not to the cassowary bird of Australia. The bird's stomach contains a unique combination of enzymes that allow it to digest the fruit while leaving the seed intact. And it also like breaks open the seed barrier, the seed wall. Mm -hmm. And when it poops it all out, now the seed's ready to go. There's actually a lot of seeds that you have to break the barrier of the seed wall in order for it to actually germinate. Mm Mm-hmm. Like peach pits, for example, if you try to plant a peach pit in mm-hmm. the ground, it's not going to grow just naturally. You That's have to actually like do something to it. Speaking of pulling facts out of my butt and seeds, I said, isn't there a coffee that's like really expensive that is passed through the digestive tract of some mammal? I've heard rumors. You've heard intriguingly gross stories about civet coffee or copy luwak coffee. This is coffee that's made from beans found in the poop of a cat-like animal. It is indeed real. That looks like a lemur. It does look like a lemur. It's actually a palm civet. It lives in Asia. Droppings are collected and the coffee beans are washed, roasted, ground, and then brewed to produce what has become the world's most expensive coffee. Why is it so expensive? Well, you have two price points. Civet coffee that is gathered in the wild... And then farmed civet coffee, where they're literally like giving civets in captivity <laughs> a all-you-can-eat buffet of coffee beans to get the, the poop. God, there's so many places on this planet I still want to see before I die. Yeah, a pound of coffee, right, that I buy at the grocery store, organic, 12 bucks. Mm-hmm. A pound of civet coffee can cost between 100 and $500. Hmm. For a cup of coffee in a cafe, you would pay 35 to $80 for a single cup of it. Hmm. Why is it superior? Besides the fact that it's more labor intensive. They only eat the ripest coffee cherries, which make the best coffee that ferments in their digestive tract and supposedly makes the coffee taste better. Would you try it? Hell yeah. Me too. Yeah. But by the time it's roasted, it's been washed and then the roasting is superheating it. So yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I'd totally try it. I was wondering not if that you were turned off by eating animal shit coffee, but if you were turned <laughs> off by paying 35 to $80 for a cup of coffee. Oh, you got to try everything once. <laughs> So I've been making a lot of TikTok videos lately, Mm -hmm. especially... Your dancing is incredible. Yeah. On TikTok? Oh, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) I do like to dance. It's quite fun. We did a lot of it on the trip. We did some dancing. Mm -hmm. So much fun. What I do is I got this idea that every Saturday I actually put it into my phone to remind me to do my gratitude TikTok. And what it is is going back through the week... And looking at all the great things that have happened in the week that I've snapped pictures of or done videos of, because I do that all week long just to kind of capture moments. Sure. And then kind of put that out there and just, here's the things that I'm grateful for. Maybe you'll think of things you've been grateful for. 
Speaking of people making all kinds of comments on Facebook about all the same things from all different parts of the world and time and space and all of that, you run into the idea that people just live, even though we all live on the same planet, we live in a different world. We could be talking about the exact same thing, looking at the exact same thing and see completely different things. Without and so, a doubt. One of the things is to share what I see. I've always liked that. Share what I see. And if I share what I see, then more people will be like, well, I live in that city. Why don't I see those same things? Mm -hmm. Well, what are you looking for? What are you looking to see? And what that's got me doing is just playing around on TikTok, looking at things. What are other people talking about? Of course, there's a whole lot of the millennial, the baby boomer, the back and forth between sure. the millennial and baby boomer. Now we're teasing the Gen Zs because they are kind of hilarious, by the way. We have a couple of those in our house. We have one that lives in our house, but a few of them that we associate with. And when they come home for Christmas, we can't understand a single word they're saying when they get in a group talking to each other. It's kind of true. <laughs> and they can talk clearly to us about things we can clearly understand. But when they're the four of them together, we're like, huh? Fire's good, right? <laughs> Zeddy, you're looking real good today. <laughs> Thanks, babe. And I've noticed that the way Gen Xers are talked about is funny. And one of the things that's always uh, talked about is this idea that, number one, Gen Xers were the kid. We were the latchkey kids. You know, our parents, we were the first generation of across the board to income household parents. We were the first generation of McDonald's. We were the first generation of the switch from you go home. Here's the key to your house. You told a story on a podcast once about how you were accidentally locked out of the house. And no, had I, to wasn't poop behind the... <laughs> I wasn't accidentally. I wasn't accidentally. Luckily, I'd been eating coffee beans. This is Gen X, by the way. No, I wasn't <laughs> locked out accidentally. I was locked out purposefully. <laughs> See? <laughs> you stay in the backyard. There's a stack of books there. Yeah. Get home after school and don't go out of the backyard. Someone will be home in an hour. But I had to poop so bad. I can't even imagine. Yeah, you got to go back and listen to that one. <laughs> I never got purposely locked out of the house, by the way. Hmm. But these are true Gen X stories. I was at home alone in like the fourth grade. I remember wrapping myself up around myself while watching cartoons. I think it was the Jetsons talking to my best friend on the phone and I was in the fourth grade. Yeah. I mean, that is the reality of, you know, the life. I got dropped off by the bus yeah. and went upstairs to do my homework and whatever. And so as these videos are coming out, they've been cracking me up. But the one that I've been seeing lately or the ones that I've been seeing lately is all these things about telling us to grow up. You know, because we're still wearing like our band t-shirts. Sure. And like we talked about going to the Jane's Addiction concert and making sure everybody had on their sensible shoes, but oh, we yeah. all had our cool like clothes on top, but we had our sensible shoes on. It only makes sense. So this is the Gen X I'm talking about. What I've begun realizing over the past four years that we've been developing this podcast and working it out is that this podcast, this dinner table talk is the talk of a Gen X household. Sure. It's the talk of kids that are taking their first steps to college. Yep. And then now we're getting to the first steps into graduating from college. Hey, you're, oh, you're right. Over the last... Yeah, you're right. This is exactly what has happened. We have had parents that have passed. Mm -hmm. We have uh, made big choices in life about careers yeah. and big changes. We are turning 50 and 44. You know, these things have happened over the past years. Grow up, Gen X. What does well, that yeah, mean you, to us? Your TikTok video for the week where you narrated about exactly what you're talking about, yeah. but showing the way that you and I had so much fun. Mm -hmm. You on a swing mm -hmm. in the ninth ward of New Orleans. Yep. You sliding down the Baton Rouge cement name sculpture on their Why? Because I'd front. seen a bunch of kids doing it and it looked like a lot of fun. Us dancing at a Mardi Gras parade. Yeah. Going to the jazz clubs. Yeah. And on and on and on. Go, if you're not a Facebook friend of ours, mm -hmm. go to our Dinner Table Talks Facebook page. We really do put a lot of fun stuff out there. And you can see this video that we're talking about. We can maybe even repost it this week. You and I have gotten into a rhythm on how we like to do this annual road trip. Yeah. And this year was... Even more evolving into... Evolving, but I learned a lot. We didn't take one cooler. We took two coolers. Yeah. The in-the-car cooler filled with sparkling waters and kombucha and... Lots of snacks from the road because we're not going to be stopping at gas stations and picking up snacks because right. they don't have anything in there I can eat. And then the cooler for 
our meal preparations, especially the first chapter, which is going to be exactly as we did last year, two nights at an Airbnb in a national forest. So this conversation at the dinner table is going to be a little bit about how we're seeing the evolution of our road trips and the way we had begun creating them. But then also let's bring in the idea that, okay, here's another step in the AIP protocol. Yeah. Like how, how is this breaking out? AI, how would we do AIP this week to week? AIP protocol was all over this vacation. It, it had to be because mm-hmm. how many times do you eat a day? And then how many times are we eating out or trying to create a food situation that's going to make sure that the renovation going on inside your gut mm-hmm. can continue? It's very, very important. So one of the things that I did right before we left for the trip was I had got this idea that if I had taken and made a really quick sheet of the do's and don'ts for my diet, it might make it a little bit easier for me because, okay, we're going to go into nice restaurants to eat because that's really the only choices we we have. Plus it's how we roll. Mm. If I can take a quick sheet for a chef and just make it a little bit easier on them, I look at the menu, I give the waiter or waitress an idea like, I would love to have a steak and it looks like the seasonal vegetable is this kind of thing. Okay, could you go with the chef and talk to them and here's a list of the things. And I made this really great sheet. I'd love to share it with other people that would like to have it because I think as I'm talking to a lot of people, it's, yeah, I really need to be doing that, except that, well, what do you, how do you do it? How do you do it on a road trip? And how do you get delicious meals? And how do you... That sounds so hard. It's, yeah, it's, it's challenging. And I tried to do it, but I, it's so hard. mm -hmm. We heard that over and over. Yeah. And so I think that me doing this and showing that, yeah, it can be done. It does add some barriers for people. It is about convenience. Mm -hmm. Can I afford, do I have the time? We're going to need to stay in an Airbnb. We need a kitchen. We need a... Well, we just enjoyed that so much last time that we wanted to duplicate that anyway. Yeah. But now I learned this time how much of a necessity that really is. For the fact that we have the dog with us, which one of the ways that we love to travel is to take our little dog with us. New Orleans is a very dog-friendly town. Oh my God. We took him in everywhere. They had no problems with him anywhere. The museums we went to, everywhere we went. And now some of the places, some of the restaurants, I was more like, let's just leave him because it was the temperatures outside were super cool. Cracked the windows a little bit. He was fine. I could put him in his crate if I needed to. So you made this sheet up. It says up atop, autoimmune protocol diet. Yes. No, yes, Yep. night one of the trip. Mm-hmm. We go to see the kids in College Station and we go to Ronan, the restaurant we've talked about on this podcast so many times because we always go to Ronan when yes. we go to College Station. Yes. If you go to College Station, go to Ronan. Yes. No need to get into the nitpick of the meal, except that it was your first time to hand the server this sheet and have this first conversation. Exactly. How nervous were you about it? How... I was very nervous. Where, why? Yeah, I don't know because it's because it's a new thing and um, some chefs might balk at the idea. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It. But honestly, they were fantastic. I had a beautiful, I think, hanger steak. Yeah. They made me a special salad to the side, special cut sweet potato fries, and made those for me. And then the fermented vegetables that they were making for all of the other uh, plates, they just made it a little bit separate and made me a salad on the side. And they were really good about it. Now, when the restaurant is really slow, it's very easy for chefs to do something special like this. It happened to be the first couple nights on our trip. Yeah. The weather got crazy. We accidentally <laughs> drove into an ice storm. Ice storm, yeah. And I learned after the fact that like the governor of Texas was talking about the ice storm and that some friends of ours in Austin, oh, Austin lost had a power nightmare. for three days. Yeah. yeah, that was a big deal. Completely unexpected mm-hmm. because of this same central storm. Yeah. And that meant that when we got to Bryan, yeah. where Ronan is, and we're walking up and down like we do, of course it was cold, but like there were signs on the doors. Everything we're was shut down. We're closed until tomorrow yeah. at noon because of the weather event. So we get on our phones, what's the weather event? Yeah. Ice coming, You stay off of the roads, what we call our kids. And the ice storm was moving east from Austin, basically. Basically. And of course, yeah. it was way north of that too, but it was moving east. Well, that so, meant that the yeah. restaurant was basically empty. Yeah, exactly. And we did it again in Houston. Yeah. 
with the steak. Well, let's, and- let's go ahead and talk about that. It was 3 p.m. Yep. The restaurant wasn't crowded. Yep. And the chef came out yes. to talk to you. Yes. Which I thought was just like a fantastic touch. As accommodating as they were at Ronan. Yes. They were just as accommodating when we got back to Texas again. Yep. I went to school. I, I went to get my master's in education. Mm-hmm. I never finished it because I decided that basically they were teaching things at the university that you actually couldn't use in the real school system because my ex-husband was in the school system. So I also was working at the school and kind of knew what was going on over there. I knew about what was going on with curriculum and all of those kinds of things. And so I feel that there's a level of this kind of stuff that's happening at the universities or at the culinary schools or places where you're getting education that is not being implemented yet in the system and may not be implemented in the system for another 20, 30, 40 years. By then, they're already teaching something completely different at the university. It's going to be frustrating for the graduate to come out with all these new ideas and be told by their employer. I know it is. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. The way we're doing it is fine. Yes, yes. And I think that there's an element of that. And I I think that in some places, like, okay, a chain type of restaurant, it's basically like they're in a corporate system that is not going to change. In a smaller restaurant like Ronin, well, they're still having to meet the desires of the customer. Like if everybody wants chicken fried steak, every time they come there, they're going to be making chicken fried steak every time they come there. Three kids joined us. Yes. Three chicken fried steak orders. Exactly. So it's not just a a general systemic. It's also the general population wants it to be the same, the way it's always been. I don't know. I think that there's a growing number of people that are saying, I need to eat gluten-free and restaurants have got to react to that. And we've talked about this here before. You see that in the chain often Mm -hmm. a couple of designated gluten-free real dishes not just we're going to leave the bread off but like a real dish for gluten-free as the population that's trying to eat that way is growing yeah and the higher dollar restaurants where the where the food is locally grown and and poured over for the quality wise i think that we ran into a couple of those types of places on purpose that were going to give you a little bit more of attention course. and want to rise to the like Michelin star level that they're trying to attain. Of course. Of course. You're right. There is a movement towards that. Mm-hmm. I still think though, it's a slow boat to China. <laughs> it's right. just a slow boat of movement. Oh, without a doubt. But I, I appreciated it. You know, I want to be again, kind and compassionate in the idea that there is definitely a boundary for people that don't have the time or the money to to do it the way we did it. However, still ask. You have to ask if still you want do that what boat you to turn. Can. Yeah. And and if you if you can ask a restaurant, if you've got that communicative, assertive nature like we do to take your paperwork with you and explain things very clearly and ask questions. I mean, the first thing I'm going to say when any waiter or waitress walks up to my table to serve me is, hi, I apologize immediately. I'm going to be a complicated order. Yeah. Please give me your you time. You have a smile on your face. You're diffusing yes. the, yeah. I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to tip well. I don't say that, but we do. Oh, remember the guy at the vegan restaurant that we ate at in New Orleans? We ate that beat, that place. Yeah. Uh, the same Daily thing. Beat. Same thing. I We had to ask them to make me a special salad because all the salad mixtures that they had had, had things that I'm like, couldn't. that, right. Yeah. To look me in the eye after I'm saying so much gratitude to them and say, I'm glad to be in a space where I can serve you food that makes you well. I'm glad to be here for you just as much as you're glad I'm here for you. Right. And when we create that kind of vibe, when we start creating that kind of vibe in the world, my God, that podcast we listened to today from Charles Eisenstein Mm -hmm. about um, Brophy, I can't think of the guy's first name. It was a near-death experience where the guy had had COVID and then right. went through. Ventilator yeah, oh for my god! He starts talking in his in this podcast about this idea that like you surround yourself with the people that you are like. You create the vibe around you, and if you are uh, nasty and tyrannical and you're taking and taking and taking, well, you're going to be surrounded by that kind of vibration. But if you have a vibration where you're a happy neighbor and you're just asking for people to take good care of you Mm -hmm. and you'll take good care of them, you see that. That's what you run into. And my God, 
Louisiana and New Orleans, the people were so lovely. We said oh. that over and over again to one another. My God, everyone's polite here. The tourists I mean, that we encountered. The moment we crossed the line and got those crawfish right. in Leesville, the, the waitresses there, yeah. they were beautiful the, the and kind. The gentleman that was sitting next to us in the yeah. table next to us. Ordered and then five just, to six pounds of crawfish by himself. One thing after another, the kind of people that we met and the, the gratitude and happiness. And it wasn't just the people that live there or the locals. It was also like the tourists, yeah, too. Yeah, how many, like in New Orleans, how many bachelorette parties and bachelor parties did we encounter on the elevator in the hotel, out on the street in front of the hotel and around? And yeah. we got into conversations, yeah. not just how you're doing, who's the bride, but like conversations. And everyone was so pleasant. I'm chalking that up to, A, the gratitude that New Orleans is expressing to the tourists. But B, the idea that folks are so excited to be out and back to normal, air quotes, after what we have collectively gone through over the last couple of years. So does that mean that you would not say that it was just a general, that it, when you bring a vibe, the vibe meets you there? Because oh, that's that's what I feel. It's a bit of both columns. Yeah. I think that everyone out there, though, is trying to present that vibe yeah. in that place. That's what I notice as well. Yeah. We ran into so many great conversations. Remember the couple we ran into in the elevator and the conversation started with guns actually, because we had made a comment about the hotel that we'd stayed at, had such a busy uh, nightclub on, on, the, the, on the penthouse floor. Yeah. That uh, they had to have somebody at the elevator door. Like a security guard to get yeah, people up and down. A true security guard with a gun, like a police officer, an off-duty police officer with a, ha- a handgun on the hip. Well, there, yeah, there was one, there was one group and they, and it was like, oh my God, guns. And, and then the other's like, oh yeah, I'm from Arizona. From, yeah. yeah. I'm and I'm, Texas, we're like, we're, we're from Texas. That, right. That's not even nothing. Well, I'm from New Hampshire and we're not. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I'm so, you know, but then we run into another couple and that same kind of conversation, you know, comes up and he's like, oh, I'm from Chicago. It's no problem. You know, yeah. whatever. We ran into that couple on the streets of New Orleans. We ran into that couple on the streets of somewhere else. Yeah. We ran into that couple the next day at coffee. And then after meeting up for with about them half an hour. for four times, we're like, yeah, we've got to exchange phone numbers now because there's an alignment going on here that we need to know each other. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that kind of stuff happened. Another thing that was happening was I got the sense that there was a general like wellness vibe going on because every bathroom I would go into where I'd end up in a long line and ladies would be talking, there would be conversations about how a lot of the women weren't drinking as much, you know? And then I would say, well, I'm not drinking as much. I'm not drinking at all on this trip really because of autoimmune things, my diet. And then that became the conversation like, oh, me too. And I'm trying so hard. And oh, well, I did have one glass because, you know, whatever. But like every restaurant. Yeah. We were at the jazz club because that was one of the things I definitely wanted to do was to hear some jazz. Oh yeah. This was so much fun at this jazz club. And it was halfway full probably. Yeah. It was and, early in the night. Yeah. So the crowd was still, you know, Gen X or plus and age. You had, you had said, I think you even said here before, I'm not going to drink on this trip. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I would want to taste a few local beers. I just, that's where I was. And she comes out and she's like, anybody need a refresher? Oh, you guys sure are nursing these. Mm-hmm. And that was, you're right, the second time we heard someone say, yeah, no one's really drinking right now. I was hanging out in one of the little oddity shops because that was one of the fun things we did when we were walking around. Right. And by the way, we walked into the coolest oddity shop I've ever been into. And there was octopuses in snow globes. Yeah. I wanted one so bad. And then the conversation I got about, their business card. Christmas will be here. Oh, it was so they, they were so cool, you guys. But it was one of those like death audit, like everything was taxidermied and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And a strange conversation came up in that shop about death and the respect you have to respect death in order to respect life so you know i'm like a nerd going off in there like but then in addition to that i heard some conversation about how yeah one of the ladies is a bartender yeah people just aren't drinking like they used to you know and well did you make any money no no i made good money but it's just the vibe is different since the pandemic since you know you would think that people would be out wanting to drink more and really you know they're just not drinking as much as they used to be drinking and i just thought I have been to New Orleans for a bachelor party and drinking happened. Mm 
Anytime you go to New Orleans for a convention or anything else and you venture into French Quarter, drinking is a big deal. The hand grenades, the hurricanes, you can carry your alcohol around in, in Texas, in Corpus Christi anyway. You cannot do that. And there was plenty of drinking on the parade night. Well, but yeah. But you could feel the difference. You could. Well, and I think I, I would guess just like the vibe of like feeling good, feeling the neighbors, feeling safe, feeling like people were just in a good vibe that I would think that there are probably people that go to New Orleans and might think, what the hell are those people talking about where there were people puking and, sure. you know, so I think again, it kind of is, what are you aligned okay. with? Where are you putting yourself? I'm where you. are you? And so for me, this goes back to this kind of Gen X, you know, concept of like, how are we aging and what is it that we're actually wanting to do? I made a joke, you know, back when we originally said we were going to plan this vacation. I said, okay, I've been to New Orleans, but I went to New Orleans when I was 20, 21 years old. That, so a whole lifetime ago, it felt like before my kids were born. What do people do in New Orleans that aren't staying up till 2 a.m. drinking? Right. You know, what do they do? Well, one of the things that I suggested we do was to go on a street art tour. Okay. Now, listen, this is the highlight of the trip. It was so much fun, you guys. Now... Cortland and I and my mom, we I took Cortland to New York City for graduation after he graduated from high school. That was his big trip. You know, I went on the Hawaii trip with Lillian this past summer. It mm -hmm. was her big graduation trip. So when we went and did that, we did a um, street art tour in New York City. A friend of mine and my mom's does that. And so it got brought to our attention to go check that out. And it was such a great time. We were outside for several hours. We were walking. So there was that element of like getting outside, doing some walking around, not just being inside drinking and eating and doing the indoor tourist mm -hmm. stuff. So I suggested we do this in New Orleans. And I thought, New Orleans has got to have some fantastic street art. So you look it up. I say, Airbnb does these types of things. You find this really cool guy yeah. that takes us on his tour. The tour starts in the ninth ward. Now, one of the things that's also been really interesting for me going through these phases of life of watching our little seven-year-old Savannah become the 17-year-old that 17-year-olds sure. become, you know, it got me thinking about... Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Katrina was in 2006. Is that right? No, that's when I was super involved in the First United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that we decided, the church decided to become one of the shelters yeah. after Katrina hit. It's funny because we were talking to some younger folks, Lillian and her friends. So Lillian's 18 months old when Katrina happened. We're talking about the Ninth Ward and the experiences and the levee breaking and all of that kind of stuff. And to realize that there are truly a lot of people, young people that really don't have that experience. They didn't experience Katrina the way we experienced Katrina, where we watched this catastrophic event with life after life after life being affected Families split up, oh, everything. Yeah. So there were several churches in, that, that did work in Corpus Christi. There was also, um, I believe, our city, the Memorial Coliseum, housed some people. But yeah. I think we housed about 150 people. And the first stage, I ended up being the volunteer coordinator, which was a big job for a young woman just, just out of college. It was like three people were the main people involved in this project. And I was one of the three people having my daughter be involved in that, like a baby on my backpack. And here I am talking to these families that literally have lost their children, lost their children in a flood. I'm with you. It was insane. A natural what was going event on. that changed their life in every possible way. Yeah. And so then we're like finding houses. There were kids that ended up here. Um, we had a couple of the kids that ended up, we helped them get in, go into London ISD. Okay. We accepted them to go to school over there accepted that sounds weird but you just you know generally they needed a school to go to sure. and so they were getting put in different schools well, they're not residents of the town or the school district exactly yeah. no parents parents aren't here they get adopted by people that are living in our town that yeah. are adopting kids and this went on all over the country and by the way i looked it up it's august 2005 2005 that makes sense so lily was little and these floods of memories of 
back to that Gen X, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Where is our life? What have we done? What have we experienced? How old were our babies when this thing's happened? So we're walking the ninth ward in New Orleans on this street art tour. And I'm looking at it however many years later, 17 years later, we're asking some questions. We're seeing the actual Banksy that Banksy did that was about the flood. Right. It was after the next hurricane came through, Gustav, where there was the largest evacuation in American history for a hurricane to get everyone out of New Orleans. And Banksy came in and Mm -hmm. did 12 or 13 pieces around town when he knew the city was empty. Mm -hmm. That was the last piece that we saw on the street art tour. And it really was the most impactful. This is one you guys have all seen. It's the little girl with the umbrella. The umbrella is in the shape or supposed to represent the Superdome. Yes. Which, if you remember the news stories from Katrina... People were on top of it. Well, it, it, was, was it was flooding. Yeah, it was it the was, evacuation you yeah. know, area shelter. Yeah. And uh, it was just so poorly run and poorly maintained. And people, you know, it was living hell inside of there. And so the girl's holding an umbrella that's representing the Superdome. But rain's coming, only falling underneath the umbrella onto her. Mm-hmm. And the tour guide, Tyler, was explaining how, you know, that's indicative of how the stresses of yeah. the event yeah. came from the governmental agencies right. that were conducting the quote-unquote rescue. But yet she's, she's still reaching out her hand with hope. Into dryness. Like, yeah, that like there's still hope yeah. out there and great peace, but just all the stories. I loved this, the very, very first mural that he showed us mm-hmm. where he talked about the second line. Do you remember that what yeah. the second line is about? So the second line is, okay, so the first line is the actual parade. So when the parades come through during Mardi Gras, you have the first line, the big uh, official parade uh, floats and all of that stuff. Right. And then you have what they call the second line that moves through. And he talked about all the different characters of people that you might see on the second line and what they're there for and that they're there to like keep the peace, like the people, the civilians yeah. wanting to keep the crowds cool, yeah. making everybody, making it fun. Like basically we've created a place here. They even have a, I think they, I think it's NOPD where it's like the police stay out of your bit. As long as you're not killing somebody, right. the police stay out of, of it because it's probably NOPD, worse for them to get into New it. Orleans police department vernacular in town is not our problem department. Not our problem department. And there you he go. said, unless you're actively stabbing somebody in the heart, the police are probably going to leave you alone here. In the midst of that, they are, the civilians are taking care of each other. Right. You know, they've got the guy that brings out the pit and is grilling out there to get people fed because want to make sure if you're drinking all that alcohol, we need to get you fed and got the guys on the horses. And he said, I guess you don't see that very often. He looked at the Texans. Well, in Texas, I go, oh no, we, we got guys on horses, man. Like the same kind of thing actually does happen here in Texas. The same type of vibe when we have some massive event. The fingerprints of Katrina that are still so deep 18 years later. Yeah. Are so evident. There were two other pieces on that tour. Mm -hmm. There was one done by an artist who lost everything. And there were two women in particular that really helped him. One took him in, Mm -hmm. stranger. Yep. And they became, you know, great friends and family. And then the other one was uh, a woman that was known in the civilian world, not the official world, mm-hmm. as being an organizer of relief. Yeah. That gave him much relief. Yeah. Supplies, food, water. Yeah. yeah. And the mural he did when he was commissioned to, you know, got back on his feet and began doing art again uh, is still there, bright and shiny. It's these special murals that never get tagged. By the yep. community of yep. folks that have... Yeah, because he made little jokes about how, you know, there's a little, like, squabbling that happens between sure. the artists on the street, and especially when you're talking about the graffiti yeah, street art. so powerful. Yeah. And then another one was the face of a older black woman, and it was dedicated to the black women of New Orleans because they're the ones that really have this city taken care of. Yeah. And we're going to post on our Facebook page a big collage of all the art that we saw that day. I learned so much on that street tour. Because I met people that lived in the Ninth Ward Mm -hmm. and I helped their families. And I know that there was no way that I was going to be on the ground in the hurricane helping But I did what I could do with my baby on my back from Corpus Christi, Texas, young woman out of college, 
it really meant so much to me to walk those streets and to look at where this happened for the lev for you to point out these are the levees these are the things that broke this is yeah. you know this is an area that has recovered Living in an area that has hurricanes, we drive through Rockport, we drive through Port Aransas, we look at the changes that have come, and sometimes we go, well, they wiped away, and, and you're seeing some of this happen, and if you know Austin area, you know uh, East Austin, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say the gentrification that has happened over in East Austin has been very fast, and it went from, you know, the neighborhoods, the original neighborhoods of East Austin, which would have been like probably 20 years ago, to about 15 years ago when there started early development of like little urban farms. Someone opened the first cool coffee shop in, yes. a, in an area that didn't have cool coffee yes. shops. And then I remember there is a really cool farmer's market in this, a community center yeah. where you wouldn't normally see a farmer's market. And then another thing, and then another thing, and then another thing. And if you visit East Austin at any point in time along this conversion, Mm-hmm. If it had been studied, if it had been documented, and I'm sure that it was, that same thing is so clearly happening yeah. in the Ninth Ward of yep. New Orleans. Exactly. To the point to where we're going to meet in front of a very cool coffee shop to mm -hmm. start the tour. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be walking past buildings that are condemned. But between them are, oh, that's a really cool fusion Korean barbecue uh taiwanese restaurant yep what all the best bars Definitely all the the cool bars cool that the cool people are going to places to eat you're There's watching it happen right now an urban farm yeah a you know pop-up called grow on that we got to chance to stop by you yeah. looked and you know because we're looking around to see what are the things that we would go and look at so we basically go over and find um a, a lot that's been turned into over the past seven years, a little urban farm that reminded me exactly of what the learning garden at Tom Graham Park was when we started that yeah. over in the Oak Park neighborhood in right. Corpus Christi. And I was really proud to be able to talk about what young, our Tevin, our friend Tevin is doing now with that compared to, you know, what Simon is doing over here at Grow On there in the ninth ward of New Orleans. I asked him, how are the neighbors, how have the neighbors yes, reacted? Yeah. And he said, well, basically, there's a leave alone attitude. Yeah. If we're, not, if we're not hurting anybody, no one's going to mess with us. But at the same time, if you look across the street, that's our large composting area. That's where our mulch and supplies and stuff yep. are. Yep. And see those trash cans over there. Drop your, and we had to teach everybody, your non-animal fat food waste in that. And we're going to use it for the gardens. And, of course, we distribute food as often as we can right around the area as a little benefit of, of living nearby. Yeah. I got the coolest vibes from that place. Yep. Um, it was exactly like the learning garden was yep. That, yep. that you had helped create. But, especially but in the, the benefit that it of into. the super big city like New Orleans, where there's a, as long as you're not killing anybody, we're going to kind of leave you alone, yeah. is that they weren't being, he wasn't being harassed all the time by city government oh. and neighbors and all kinds of stuff. We got harassed on a daily basis. I got, I eventually, I gave up. And thankfully, Tevin is younger and has more tenacity and is probably more well-received in the neighborhood than I was. Well, New Orleans has an anything-goes attitude, and New Orleans has a progressive attitude of needing to try new things mm -hmm. that Corpus Christi just does not have. Yeah. Corpus Christi, conversely, is we know we've got to change. We know we need to make some steps to do some different things. As long as nothing's different, yeah. as long as we don't change, it's like, well, wait a second. You've just shot yourself in the foot while announcing the problem that you have and it does get frustrating when you want to see things change for the better and are finding obstacle after obstacle from places that you never thought you'd see them there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages and i will say for me walking those streets over there and then going over into the garden district which is another walking area tour that we did while we were in new orleans getting to walk the streets of new orleans was i was there was plenty to do and you didn't have to get hammered? I had so much fun in New Orleans. I would encourage anyone yeah. to go back, even if you're not in the deep Bourbon Street, 
rock it till your boobs are showing a party yeah. scene part of your life anymore. And we ended up there the last night that we yeah. were there for a Mardi Gras parade. I did not show my boobs, no. but I had a great time and I danced my ass off, man. Yeah, we did. That parade was great. Yeah. Uh, it was a politically motivated parade yes. uh, highlighting... Uh, I guess some criticisms of local government. That was kind of There fun. wasn't a lot of national partisan stuff. I was thinking to it myself, can local. you imagine having that flow with Paulette's face? Yeah, Paulette Guajardo's face? <laughs> She's not our mayor, by the way, right. but <laughs> she is the Corpus Christi mayor. So yeah, yeah, I don't crowd, think it would be received quite the same way. We landed <laughs> at a spot that, you know, the bus, busker group had arrived right there with uh, a full stand-up <gasps> piano, so a banjo, uh, spoons, stinky kids picking a banjo, you guys. Yeah, and they, they just had a bus. Played I know and they played did. And played, and then they would pass the the bucket around, and folks were just pouring money into. Just, that was the thing I loved about New Orleans, and this is not new. It is a mecca of artists. Yes. It is a mecca of musicians. Not only its jazz reputation, but all of the different kind of street performers that we saw and enjoyed. Uh, it's also a mecca for, I don't want to say the occult, because that sounds so stupid, but like well, it's the a voodoo, voodoo culture, yeah, Marie Laveau. Old, old Cajun culture, but then uh -huh. that's morphed into kind of modern day, like tarot Oddities. readings, just a lot of that yeah. kind of yeah. cool peppered stuff all over the place. And we did do Bourbon Street. We did it during the day mostly, yeah. and we kept landing on oyster bars. Mm -hmm. Because I knew that was something that you could eat. Yep. I can eat raw oysters. Listen, you guys, the oysters we're eating here in Corpus Christi are trash. I'm I'm like, what are we actually eating and why are they feeding it to me? You're talking about compared to what we had in Louisiana. <gasps> oh my God. The oysters were so freaking delicious. They were more flavorful. They were ginormous. Yeah. Of course, the ones we get here are ginormous too, but they, they were these ginormous and they were delicious and they were cold and they, I mean, they just did it right. And you could tell that we were still, we were scraping them out. They weren't like shucking them and putting oysters in the shucked shells or they I don't know. cracking the shells open, maybe giving them a rinse and putting them on the table. There are still crunchy things inside uh. the, <laughs> the oyster. That was amazing food. We did that a couple of times. Yeah, again, because it was something that I knew you could eat. Yeah. I want to talk about Koshan. Okay. If you're going to highlight one restaurant on the trip, this is the one that I'd like to do. This is the most recommended restaurant from all of our friends, folks on the Facebook when we threw out there to you guys. Where should we eat in New Orleans? This was the one that came back again and again and again. I noticed you didn't pull your sheet out at this place. No, it was very, very crowded. It was slammed, that restaurant. I could also tell that I wasn't 100% sure because it was so loud. And I just wasn't sure that our waiter was going to be as responsive to my yeah. requests. I can just get a vibe sometimes. And so I just ordered what I thought would work. Uh, the restaurant was excellent. We met some really cool people that were sitting at the table to the left of us, got talking to them. From the Carolinas. Accidentally got talking to them because of the plate of oysters they were eating that I couldn't eat. Yeah. They were cooked in some kind of butter and butter chili and sauce. Butter and chili sauce. My God, it looks so good. And the so plate good. was designed to, that collected all of that sauce and then dripped it down into a central reservoir. So you and the way we got the to meet them bread. was I took a piece of the bread <laughs> that you weren't eating. So do you mind if I just get one little dip? <laughs> and then we talked for about 35 minutes. That was a very fun conversation to the point where I was like, yeah, I think we actually have a lot in common. We started talking about diet. We started talking about drinking. We started talking about uh, politics, actually. Mm -hmm. There was somebody... She, I have to admit, this young woman looked at me and she said, I'm actually a little bit libertarian. And I went, oh, who are you? I love you. <laughs> Don't label me, by the way. Right. <laughs> but I was excited to get to know her. And that was actually my favorite part of the whole restaurant experience was meeting our neighbors at the table right next to us. Okay, this is when I got rabbit and dumplings mm, i was so jealous you guys you were so jealous i was so jealous by the way we're getting rabbits on sunday yes everyone. we are we gotta so you can make me my own rabbit and something i guarantee you that i will <laughs> this was a small personal size cast iron skillet with a delicious dumpling uh carrots potatoes savory as hell but they had put it back in the oven i think with the dumpling dough on top mm -hmm. and then let the dumplings cook while the stew got superheated. Mm -hmm. 
Oh boy. I am I so excited really about rabbits now. <laughs> it was so good. But we got a ton of vegetables on the side, yes. making sure they didn't have butter and pepper. Yes, the best collard greens I've ever eaten. Yes, That's the truth. They were truth. so good. I had a big fish, uh, a side of fish, and it, and it was pretty good. It was uh, redfish filet still on the skin on the underside. Yeah, yeah. It was it was great. I, I don't know. I just, I think I was a little overwhelmed by the whole, like, And I know it. that you went in probably a little bummed that you weren't going to be able to just eat whatever you wanted probably. to if rabbit and dumplings are on the menu. Probably. I did, oh, you know what else was really good? That chicken liver. And, oh, right. um, and we kind of pulled the chili jelly away from it right. and I just kind of ate it with a spoon and that was chicken liver mousse. Oof, mm-hmm. That was really, really good too. It probably had some spices in it that, that I couldn't eat. That was our big but... restaurant splurge was yes. Koshan. And then of course we had just come from the jazz club and mm-hmm. uh, it was just a super successful event. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier, we crossed the state line. Yes. We didn't go straight to New Orleans. We spent two nights in the Kasachi National Forest in an Airbnb. That's where we pulled out our refrigerator cooler and I made all kinds of pork dishes from the pork that we had just skinned skinned that Uh we talked about last week. We'd also borrowed my mom's Nutribullet blender that Mm -hmm. I could take with me so that I could make smoothies. So we got in the habit, even in the hotel room and the places that we stayed that weren't Airbnbs, of taking the Nutribullet and making smoothies out of it. And we would, I would make a good smoothie in the morning with like... We'd bought carrots and beets, and we had avocados with us, and I had the and kale. coconut-based yogurt, and so made some smoothies in the morning. Also, you definitely have to have the dates, because those are really good for adding some sweetness to your smoothie. Love dates. Then in the evening, in order to get the sweetness, kind of your dessert, dessert yeah. yeah, I would make us carob smoothies, mm-hmm. which... You guys, I'm telling you right now, a carob smoothie is a great thing for your life. If you can eat cocoa and you're not having a problem with cocoa, you can just use cocoa. But because I can't use cocoa, I can use carob. But I would encourage you to make yourself these smoothies with berries and yogurt. You can still put some greens in there. You can put some dates in there, a banana, delicious, and lots of ice. So it's real icy and you feel like you're having a chocolatey frozen little dessert. We did that, but... It did rain, so we didn't get to hike. Cause well, I was going to say, we got the Airbnb to do a big day of hiking. Yeah. But it was so cold. The ice storm had ice moved over into all us. all day, you guys. So the night before, we had gone through, we found online, a 4.5 rated crawfish stand. You know, um, not a place where you would go in and sit down and eat, a drive through place. And I thought... Okay, that's perfect because we're driving into town. We're going to go to our Airbnb. We'll pass by this place. Mm-hmm. We'll pick up five pounds, six pounds of crawfish. We'd whatever. already had our three pound uh, appetizer yep. at the place in Leesville. That's literally right. the first crawfish place that we saw open as we crossed the Louisiana border. We get home and if you haven't seen the video yet, it was a magical moment me eating these crawfish because they were divine, you guys. This place called... Crawfish Plus in Alexandria. Yeah. The best crawfish I have ever eaten in my life, hands down. And I've been eating crawfish since I was a kid, like probably like 12 or 13. My parents started bringing this tradition over and friends that lived in Louisiana. And so we have our first night there, hot tub, Mm -hmm. crawfish, Mm -hmm. carob smoothies, Mm -hmm. getting all nice and comfortable. And I'm praying that the rain's going to pass and we're going to have this magical day where all of a sudden the sun's going to come out and we weren't expecting it. But that doesn't happen. I recognize that's not going to happen as I wake up at like four in the morning and it's raining and it's been raining all night long and the forecast shows 90% rain all day long. I'm going to tell you that the 38 degree weather was still perfect for the 103 degree hot tub. (laughs) That's true. It was. That was fun. It was nice. It was a nice hot tub. It was not the whole Airbnb, that place was amazing. Yeah. It was a really nice, perfectly priced for a February stay. Sure. So I look at the map and I start looking at like, what are we actually going to do? And my suggestion is art museum. They do have an art museum in Alexandria. Let's just drive up there. Let's enjoy the morning. Let's go slow. You made breakfast that morning, which was pork and you put eggs in yours but for me it's just more meat and some more spinach and (laughs) some carrots and you know whatever that was but it was delicious we did that and i drew yeah you did art and we read i read a lot you played the guitar i did sounded like that Uh uh-huh we go to the art museum 
we drive around the city and look around at, you know, what all there is to do. There's not much to do. But it was fun enough. The art museum was really cool. Yeah. We saw some really interesting things. Well, there wasn't much to do because it was just a drizzly, rainy, horrible day. Right. Exactly. So you said, okay, find me another place like we did in Leesville. Just some place we can go in, sit down, order some crawfish. So we go over to this place. This whole, this is exactly what you asked for. I want one of those little dirty places again. A little hole in the wall place. Right. This place was totally that. But the crawfish, excellent. Yeah. So I would suggest Alexandria if you're going to eat crawfish. And if you, Rosie's, it was called. Yeah. And go to the National Forest in Kasachi Because we didn't get to hike, but I wish we would have. Because that place looked amazing. Yeah, we did drive through it and had a lot of questions. Like, for example, why are there white squares painted on some of the trees? Yeah. Turns out that those were diseased trees that the National Forest was going to cut down. Yep. Yeah. Why is there such a military presence with no military base around? Uh-huh. Well, there was a... Open fire. Open fire training ground Train- for the reserves. Yep. Such a beautiful, beautiful place. I, I want to go back because I haven't hiked it yet. So you'll need to take me back there. I'm course. down to duplicate this trip again. <laughs> it, it was, was just such perfect. a fun time, you guys. We had such a fun time. So that left us perfect time to just go get one more run through with this amazing place that we had eaten crawfish from the night before, the Crawfish, crawfish Plus Alexandria. And we I met it. the owner. Yeah, because you had posted a video uh-huh. and then they talked on it. Yeah. So when we, when we went back the next time, I was like, who does the social media? Yeah. And he goes, I recognize you, yeah. you with the red hair. It's Cajun accent too, though. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and he is explaining where they get their crawfish from. He said, I'm from Eunice. And he said, and I know how to, I know how to do crawfish. Right. And, I, and, he, and he looks at me and he goes... But you you know how to eat them too because I saw you sweeping with your pinky and I was all yeah I was all feeling all like proud of myself like yeah I know what's up I know what's up you know and I knew he was gonna say these crawfish are on the house oh, he did happen. not say that but no. you pull up on the right hand side and you make your order then you drive around to the left hand side I got out of the car Peach took a picture of the whole like cooking operation mm-hmm. and then you pick them up they're double bagged in real thick trash bags with a big bread tie around the top so nothing's going to leak out we got them back to the Airbnb and literally rolled the bag down just to make with the bag a big big bowl 6 pounds the first night 5 pounds the second night not a crawfish wasted now this got us really talking about crawfish again yeah. and part of the reason and really talking about the agriculture of crawfish because it's not just about how they were cooked because it does matter like you have to purge crawfish which means you you put them in like a a salt water bath and that makes them puke up all the dirt inside their bodies basically that's how that works um isn't that a lovely site we're we're purging our (laughs) but it's not just that and then also the delicious way that they were cooked but it's also what do these crawfish eat like anything else like the wild hog that we're eating on comes from property where there's a lot of acorns on the property. Well, acorns the on the better. property makes the meat taste Grass better. Grass-fed beef tastes different than corn-raised beef. That's exactly right. And you can tell because the fat in the head, and when you hear people talking about sucking the head, it's not as dirty as you think. It's actually a real deal. You're trying to get that delicious fat, that yellow fat that comes out when you pull the head and the tail apart. And when you get really good fat, you know you've gotten really good crawfish off of a really good rice farm. And the flavor's accelerated. Mm. So you did some research. You found this video. We started watching it. And that, I'm so glad you did because it really got us to see a little bit more of the agriculture of how this whole rice region, rice farms became also crawfish farms. And then as we were driving back on I-10 back to Baton Rouge... I pointed over, hey, check it out. They just, they they have their cages there where they've clearly, they grow the rice. The fields fill up with water. They fill the fields with water because that's how you grow rice. That's part of the process. In the meantime, the the crawfish were taking off in the rice. And this was an, initially they were taking off in the rice and they were becoming potentially a nuisance. Well, they they thought that they were a nuisance. Hey, we're trying to make rice here. Right. Get out of here, you stupid crawfish. So what they would do is they would collect them. And they would eat them. And it became just kind of this like silly New Orleans thing that then spread to Texas. So that's like some of my generation, my parents' generation's start of just eating crawfish with their friends. And it was kind of a fun thing. Yeah, and then before be- you had a crawfish place, 25 of them in a city. Exactly. It wasn't super. Chicken wings kind of did the same thing. We were the crazy people around 
15 years ago that went to Papado's and ordered like 10 pounds of crawfish and the waiter actually came to the table to ask us if we were sure. And then they all came out with like bowls and bowls and bowls. Like we didn't understand that this wasn't a thing. Now it's a thing. Now if you went to Papado's and ordered 10 pounds of crawfish, they would not be surprised at all. And it was really cool to actually see where they do it. Now, when I went to South Carolina, we did a podcast about that a few years ago. We got to see some of the Carolina gold rice that they grow up there and the process of that. And so getting to see down here in Louisiana where the land is lower. And so it acts differently and holds water in a different place. It's the bayou. So the same reason why the graveyards have these crypts that yeah. are up you can't, above you can't the dig people six feet deep because the water table is too high yeah. so you see those above ground crypt style cemeteries the one that you might have seen in uh, interview with a vampire with brad pitt and tom cruise we saw that cemetery on our garden district walking tour where they shot all of those scenes yeah so it was really fun to get to see well, all of these. so they the crawfish they used to kind of get rid of them but now they've created a synergistic situation yeah. where after the rice is harvested they put crawfish seeds or baby crawfish in on purpose yep. to repopulate the whole thing then they're going around with traps and these floating little boats that they mm-hmm. pull the trap out, get the crawfish, put them in the bag, put the trap back in the... And that's where your farmed crawfish come from. And when you get crawfish that are fed on rice farms, mm-hmm. oh, you guys, that is nothing better. And when you start to get into like these sustainable concepts of using these fields for more than one thing, yeah. use them for two things, that concept. I thought that was really impressive. We did watch a really good video about that. I would love it if you'd post that up on our Facebook page so that people can check it out. Because if you have an interest in really how does crawfish farming work, check that out. Now, where are we going to go in 2024? Okay. Honestly, I would really like to take you to the Carolinas. But that would mean that we'd have to fly our little dog because we can't leave him at home. He, This is his trip too. But stay tuned for that, you guys, because you know we're going to talk about it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, hey, while we're in this intellectual vibe, why don't you kick over a question that we can deep dive into? Remember, I draw these randomly. You don't know what you're going to get during random question of the week. If your daughter were dating someone of another race or religion... Would you try to break them up? The question is offensive. Yeah. I, I'm... Who wrote this? I wonder about these questions so often. Oh, yeah? So often. First of all, I think they're aged. Okay. I think they're outdated. Let's put it that way. I okay. think they're outdated. We're aged. They're outdated. It's a stupid question. And the answer is, why would I try to break them up? No, of course I wouldn't. In fact, my daughter has. And I do not care at all. Just... Be a loving, beautiful couple and bring me home some loving, beautiful babies, but not yet. Give me another decade. You see how I keep pushing it out? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just going to keep pushing it out until the first one them. comes. No, okay. no, no. I'm going to get one. It's just that I'm not in a hurry and we're not getting one until they want one. <laughs> As I read the question, I'm sure people at the table today knew what the answer would be for both for of us. Because my yeah. answer is no. But... I know that there are people that would answer the question, yes, that these are a high, high level of coding where people, like we talked about, don't want to necessarily change things too much. But no, I wouldn't have a problem with either one of these. You know, that gets me thinking about a movie we just watched, which was really good. And I would encourage other people to watch it. It was called You People. Oh, oh Eddie Murphy uh-huh. was the father. Yep. And... Julie Louis-Dreyfus and David Duchovny were the parents of Jonah Hill, who are white Jewish, Jewish, and they fall in love, Uh and it's a blending culture movie. So it's it's literally this question in a movie that just came out, and it's great. It's a great movie. Eddie Murphy's answer to the question was, yes, I would definitely try to break them up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The reality are there are probably things like that still going on out there, and we're just now in a phase of life, consciousness, wellness, happiness, Gen Xers, babies getting married, and how are we going to handle these things? Well, it's time for Gen Xers that are growing up to start showing you how we're going to raise our babies. The talk of a Gen X household. Sure. 
Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. <laughs>